Welcome to this week's episode of the Ithacan's podcast, How I See Sports. I'm Samantha Cavalli, the assistant sports editor of the Ithacan. I'm Nick Friend. And today from VIC Radio's third string, J.J. Klein is here to join in our discussion of the NFL, MLB, and NBA. Also on the show, Ithaca College senior running back Tristan Brown of the football team is here to talk about the team's goals for the remainder of the season and goals for himself. Before we bring in Tristan and J.J., let's move on to the How I See Sports recap and preview of the week. The football team picked up its second win in a row after defeating Hobart College 24-21. After an exciting fourth quarter from the Bombers, freshman quarterback Wahid Nabi threw 29 for 45, 343 yards, and a touchdown. Senior running back Tristan Brown ran for 122 yards and had two touchdowns. Sophomore wide receiver Will Gladney had 12 receptions for 183 yards and a touchdown. The women's golf team placed first at the Martin Wallace Invitational in Cortland, New York, with stellar performances by sophomore Peyton Greco and seniors Indiana Jones and Kyra Denish. The volleyball team swept both Fredonia and Alfred University three sets to none in the Ithaca tri-match. Both the men's and women's soccer teams lost to St. Lawrence University September 30th. The men's team lost 3-1 at Carpwood Field, while the women's team lost 2-1 on the road. The field hockey team defeated St. Lawrence at home September 30th, defeating the Saints 2-1. The team turned around on October 1st to take on SUNY Cortland, but the Bombers were shut out by the Red Dragons 3-0. The men's soccer team looks to keep their record above 500 this weekend as they host Bard College in their fourth straight Liberty League matchup. The field hockey team plays Skidmore College on Saturday as they aim to improve on their 6-4 record. And on the hardwood, the volleyball team plays two games this weekend at St. Lawrence and Clarkson University with their unbeaten home record at stake. The Bombers look to improve upon their already impressive 9-5 mark. And finally, on Saturday, the Ithaca football team travels to face off against the University of Rochester. The Bombers hope to build off the hype and pick up their third straight win after an 0-2 start. We will now bring into the conversation Tristan Brown from the football team. Tristan, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So my first question for you, so what are the team's goals overall for the season, and what are uh, your own personal goals? Well, the main goal is to win the Liberty League our conference and then make it into a playoffs and then just see how far we could go. My personal goals align with the team goals. I just want to win. No matter how we get the win, I just want to do my part on the team. Um, so after starting um, 0-2, uh, now you guys have won two games in a row. How has the team changed or improved uh, since uh, winning two games in a row? Well, our confidence has definitely gotten a lot better since starting 0-2. But every week we're just going in with the same mindset, same preparation. We're not trying to change too much, never too high, never too low. So we got another big game this weekend, and we're trying to prepare the same way we prepared last week. Okay. Is there um, a big difference between then and now between the, the teams or uh, anything with the, the offensive line and anything on the offense? Um, no, I think we've all always had the potential, but we all were going into a season with new system, new coaching staff, so it was a bit of a learning curve, but now we're pretty much in the middle of the season. There's no excuses. You either show up or somebody else is right there behind you trying to take your job, so everybody's just going out there, putting in the work, trying to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, so what team has been your biggest competition so far, and if you guys haven't played them yet, um, what are there any big competitions uh, coming up that you guys have been preparing for? Well, every Liberty League game we consider a must-win. So Hobart last weekend was a big game for us. They obviously have won the league a good amount of times in the past, so that was a big one for us. But now we're just looking forward to U of R. That's a must-win. RPI, that's a must-win. Union, must-win. So we're just trying to go 5-0 and in the league and make the playoffs. So when did you start playing football? Um, I tried football a little bit, Pop Warner, when I was younger, but 
that didn't take too well with me. So really in high school, that was pretty much my first official time playing football is when I started. Did you always envision yourself as a running back, or was that something that kind of developed as it went along? Going into high school, I wanted to be a wide receiver, but my coaches quickly told me that being a running back probably be more better for me just with my skill set, and I would begin the ball a lot more. And so, yeah, they put me at running back. haven't looked back since. As a running back, how important is the offensive line to your success? I credit the O-line with all my success. Running through big holes, that's not hard at all, but what they do, that's hard. Getting off the ball with that amount of um, ferocity, um, tenacity, getting off the ball, just um, going hard every play, I give them all my uh, all the credit to my success. Now, this might be a little bit too X's and O's, but once you get the ball, what specifically are you looking for? As soon as the quarterback hands you the ball, what are you looking for? Is it something on the defensive line, offensive line? Well, depending on the play, I have my read keys that I'm looking to read, whether it's like a nose or like an outside zone play or pulling guards. So I could be reading a defensive line or one of my offensive linemen um, reading their block. So it just really depends on the play. All right, and I'm sure you're aware of the NFL uh, kneeling situation as well as the national anthem demonstrations that have taken across multiple sports. Uh, as a team, how did you guys deal with it, and was that something you guys discussed inside the locker room? Well, leading up to last week with Hobart, a lot of us weren't even thinking about it, but it was brought to our attention later on in the week. And then prior to the game on uh, Friday, we had a team meeting. We discussed it. Everybody voiced their opinions on what to do. We knew we wanted to do something as a team. And if anybody had any strong feelings about doing something, we would be behind them 100%. Um, when it came down to it, everybody was just wanting to play the game. It was like we were all fine with just standing up for the flag and pledging. So that's what we did. So now we're going to move into national topics. Uh, before we do, let's bring to the conversation J.J. Klein. Thanks for coming on, J.J. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. So the first topic we're going to start with, we're going to start in the NFL. So right now, the Cowboys are 2-2 two and two and in second place in the NFC East. And the Patriots are 2-2 two and two and tied for second with the Jets in the AFC East, which I thought I'd never say. So right now, who is in more trouble, the Cowboys or the Patriots? Tristan, let's start with you. I would say the Cowboys just because that division is always extremely competitive. I don't think the Patriots are too worried right now. I think their defense needs to clean up their act a little bit. But the AFC East... I just don't think the competition is there the same way in the NFC East. Mm -hmm. I'm going to agree and say that the uh, the Cowboys are in the most trouble. And I think that it's more so you have, with the Patriots, you have an established quarterback in Tom Brady, whereas Dak Prescott in his sophomore season with Dallas, you know, I we've seen it times before. You can point back to RG3 where you've seen a quarterback come in and have an impressive season, but... Once teams have tape on that player, once they know his tendencies, you can see them start to digress in their second year. So I think Dak Prescott's a great quarterback, but because of that, I think that that's part of the reason why they're going to, I'd say they're in more trouble, whereas with Tom Brady, you know you know what you're getting. You've gotten it for the last 15, 16 years. Usually I would associate trouble with the Cowboys all the time. <laughs> Whenever I can, they go together pretty well. But I think it's the Patriots because I think you look at two things. That offensive line is a mess right now, and Tom Brady is 40 years old. Yes, he's looked really good, but he is literally one hit away from having his career over, at least significantly changed. And more importantly, you mentioned it, Tristan, their defense, it's not just bad. It's on pace to be the worst defense ever since the merger. Like, ever. So... When you look at Patriots teams historically, it's two things that plague them, the offensive line and the defense. And when those two things are not clicking, they tend not to get to the Super Bowl. 
And I think right now you have to look at all the new talent that they brought in the offseason not gelling. And was this a team that came in overconfident, just thought they could go through the motions, and now all of a sudden they find themselves 2-2, two and two, tied with the New York Jets. It sounds just sounds bizarre to say. And I think they are in real legitimate trouble. Yeah. Um, I'm probably going to have to agree with you, Nick. I'm going to go with the Patriots because definitely because of their defense and how they are on track for being the worst defense out there. But also the Cowboys, too. I mean, me with the Cowboys, they're secondary as well. Um, and also, this, granted, this is also um, Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott's second season together, so they've definitely built that up a little bit. But again, they're only, this is only their second year. So they definitely still have a lot to learn. But the Patriots, obviously, Tom Brady, Belichick, Gronkowski, you name it. They, they basically have the tools they need to get better it's just the point it's at that point of they need to get better and play how they performed last season and that's how they end up winning the Super Bowl I mean they have the talent but the problem is you look at their schedule now you have to play the Falcons you have to play the Raiders when they'll have Derek Carr back you have to play the Bills twice who we'll get into a second Um, you have to play the Broncos you have to play the Steelers those are all tough games and all of a sudden Yes, I think they're going to make the playoffs. My question is, once they get to the postseason, how far did they get? This is a team coming into the season. We thought 16-0 was on the table. We thought they were going to roll to the Super Bowl. We thought they would be the clear favorites to win it. Now, we're talking about can they win the division? Can they break the tie with the New York Jets? They're clearly not the team we thought they were. And at some point, to me, it does have to go on coaching. I I would disagree with that. I mean, I think that right now it's 2-2. and I think that's a bit of an overreaction at this point um, because they're proven. They're proven to be a very good team. Now, obviously, you look at the defense, and it's abysmal. They're they're terrible. They're a really bad defense. But, again, you still have on the other side of the ball, you name some names, you know, Rob Rob Gronkowski. um, You've got Tom Brady. You've got, you know, multiple other threats, Danny Amendola. You've got a bunch of guys, offensive threats, who I think can keep them in games. We've seen Tom Brady – with teams, abysmal teams. You know, you look at Ken Brown Tompkins was one of his top targets a few years ago, and they still made the playoffs. They still had 11 wins that year. So I I wouldn't be too concerned right now if I'm the Patriots, but if they do lose next week to the Falcons, then you might start to get a little concerned. I, but I, I think just, just four games in, I think it's a little bit too, too much to be doubting what Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have, have established over the past 16 years. All right, so we're gonna stick in the we're gonna stick in football. What bandwagon is everyone going on? Bills or the Rams? JJ, I think I know your answer. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I, I think that it's tough when you look at the Bills. Um, I think that a lot of people are more so jumping on the Bills bandwagon because they're a team that coming into this year, I think the most wins anyone had really expected them to have was five. Five and eleven was a best case scenario for this team, but. It really shouldn't come as a surprise. Uh, a lot of people say you get rid of guys like Stefan Gilmore, you get rid of Sammy Watkins, you get rid of Ronald Darby, you know, all those big names on this Bills roster who have been, you know, for at least the past two years, have been really, you know, big players on this team. I think they got the better end of the deal in terms of, first off, either way they're winners, even if they end up 8-8 eight and eight on the season. You've got six draft picks in the first three rounds coming up next year. And, you know, I, I still think that player-wise, personnel-wise, I'd rather have consistency at positions 
I'd rather have consistency with players like additions like Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, EJ Gaines. I'd rather have that than two pretty good but often overrated cornerbacks in the league in terms of Stephon Gilmore and you know Ronald Darby. But I would say that people, to answer your question, I would say that people are hopping on the Bills bandwagon. My one concern is is that their offense just doesn't have the firepower to provide production. Steven Hauschka really was the person who won the game hitting um, field goals of, I believe, 55 and 56 yards. That was really the, the difference in the game. Mm-hmm. So they're just going to have to figure it out offensively. But I would say that most people are hopping on the Bills bandwagon just because they've beaten top-tier teams. Um, I would also say the Bills just because being out here at Ithaca, so many Bills fans, you just want you just want to root for the Bills. <laughs> They're everywhere because you know they've had their own like problems and they've been cursed for a long time. So you just want to root for the Bills. So yeah, I'll say the Bills. Yeah. I'm gonna go with the Rams. I think Gurley and Goff look like completely different players this year because of their coach, the youngest coach ever to be hired. Sean McVay has completely come in and completely changed his program around. And again, he's only 31. That's insane to think of of a coach who's 31. As Jerome and Cole would say, he's wet behind the ears, breath smelling like Similac, young whippersnapper with co-workers who are old enough to be his grandfather. That's the situation Sean McVay is in. And for him to come in, get these kind of results right away, it's hard for me not to buy in, especially in that division. The Seahawks look susceptible. The Cardinals look old. I mean, this is a division all of a sudden where, who knows? Could they win it? I'm not ruling that out. I certainly think they could be a legitimate playoff team, possibly get there. I cannot say that with the Bills. I still think, sure, not five wins anymore, but they're going to end up around seven, eight, nine, somewhere in that range. And I think the Rams have the possibility of more in the nine, ten range if everything goes well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll probably go with the Rams as well, just because, well, as well too. Like I'm a Jets fan. I can't. Be, rooting for the Bills at this point, I, I can't do it. But definitely the Rams, again, like what, like I agree with you, Nick, uh, Gurley and Goff are just a powerhouse team. They've been unstoppable the past couple of games, and they've come up with big plays and big wins, and they've gotten a ton of points. The only thing with the with the Rams, though, is I feel like they're not using Sammy Watkins the, the way that they should be, like the, how the Bills did last season before they traded him. If the Rams traded for Sammy Watkins, I feel like they should be using him to his full potential. That's my only concern. I mean, it's a concern, I guess, but he's also been banked up, and I also think it's a sign that this offense, it's a good sign that this offense can perform without a guy like Sammy Watkins and that they have the potential to get even better. And all of a sudden, the Rams are putting up 35 points like there's no tomorrow. So we're going to move on to the NBA, where they made changes to their all-star game. Specifically, the leading vote-getters in each conference will now be the captains, and they will then choose players for their roster, regardless of what conference, doesn't matter whether they're in the east or the west. And if you care, these two teams will now be playing for charity as well. JJ, we'll start with you. Do you like these all-star game changes? Well, I like the idea that it's for charity, for sure. I mean, obviously, I think that that's that's a good idea. You'd be interested to see how much of the proceeds actually go towards charity, as we've seen, you know, in a lot of charitable events. And I say that with air quotes, a lot of the fundings go back to the league or only 5% of the fundings go back to really the cause. But I guess, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have too much interest in the NBA All-Star game to begin with because there's no defense. And it just kind of brings up that that point of All-Star games in general. Are they really even relevant anymore? I mean, I, I 
I'm not really interested in a game, surprisingly, that's going to have a 190 to 200 score at the end of the game just because there's really nothing going on. I, I, I respect that the NBA is trying to do something to make it more entertaining, but, I mean, we saw this with the NFL a few years ago where they had teams, team captains select teams, and it's, I guess, that's pro- I think to me that's probably the more exciting part than actual the, the game itself. I don't know how I feel about it because basically it's going to be Team LeBron versus Team Durant. And it, they're going to pick who they want, and I still think it's going to be a very, very high-scoring game. I get it. They're trying to bring up their ratings, but I don't know if that's the right way to do it, in my opinion, is to split them up like that. For me, this doesn't change much. I don't really think this is going to change the game much. What it will change is the pregame festivities, where does LeBron James select Kyrie Irving, or does he select Al Horford? Does Kevin Durant select Russell Westbrook, or does he go with somebody else? That's where it's going to be interesting. That's where the pettiness will become involved, and that's what the NBA is very good at, the pettiness, which, hey, good for them. It makes them control the narrative in a time where we're usually talking about football. But what I'm interested in is people acting like there was a problem problem with the All-Star game in the first place. Because last year, the ratings, were, the ratings were the highest they'd ever been since 2013. Maybe you don't like it, JJ, but overall, I think our generation in general likes the 200 points, likes the alley-oop and three-pointers, like there's no tomorrow, likes the no defense or lack of defense. This isn't going to be the all-star game in the 90s or the 2000s where they got 13, 14 million viewers. Heck, it got 20 million viewers one year because you can now watch Steph Curry if, if you're on the East Coast on Twitter every single night and watch a highlight. You don't have to go to the All-Star game just to watch Steph Curry. So it's not going to get those monstrous numbers, but the numbers have been, they've been good. I mean, it's considering an All-Star game, which all these leagues are struggling with All-Star games because people don't care about them as much anymore. Um, I thought the changes were pretty cool. Just <laughs> just, <laughs> just seeing um, different teams in the All-Star, like LeBron and Russell on the same team going against whatever the other team is, teams like that. I thought it was pretty cool. I watched the All-Star game. Like, every year I try to watch the festivities. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be a fun little shake-up for the NBA. Yeah. yeah, and especially this year, I think the ratings will be up because people are going to want to see what does this look like. And going forward, we'll have to see if it's a long-term play. We're now going to go to somebody who seems to be coming the face of the NBA, and that's LeVar Ball, who pulled one of his sons, his youngest son, LaMelo Ball, out of his high school. Because, well, he wasn't happy for numerous reasons, including the coach is the main reason he stated. He also reportedly asked uh, Chino Hills to add four players to their roster the day before he pulled LaMelo Ball out of the school. So I'll just throw it open to commentary. Do either of you think that LeVar took it too far here? Um, I think at this point, like, even though the antics, like, is so hard to agree with, like, there's nothing that he's shown that he doesn't know he's doing with his children, so... I just got to give him the benefit of the doubt that he has some type of plan. So hopefully it all works out for LaMelo. At least in the state of New York, I know that adding four players to a public high school is considered illegal. It's recruiting. So, And there have been recruiting scandals in the state of New York where people have added players to their high school roster. Um, I think it's overstepping, obviously. I mean, but that's something we've kind of grown accustomed to seeing. And you have to wonder... You have to really question what if if these moves are calculated. Obviously, you know that a lot of them are because Big Baller brand has just become almost a joke, but it's also become a successful brand in many, many cases. So you have to say any way that he can make a headline, he's going to do it. So I'm not surprised to see that LeVar Ball is making a headline. I think it's a little surprising that you take your son 
out of high school so that you can focus on his skills. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see him take a route that we saw. Um, I'm blanking on the player's name. It was with the Bucks. Um, went professional in Europe for a year. Brandon Jennings. Brandon yes, Jennings yep. went professional for a year in Europe before coming over to the NBA. I wouldn't be surprised if we see that because that was something we saw almost right away in response to the NBA coming out and saying that you have to be a year out of high school to be drafted. I wouldn't be surprised if we see LeVar Ball try to bring LaMelo in, but it'll be interesting because LaMelo does not play defense. He just kind of waits at midcourt, waiting at half court, waiting for the ball so he can score offensively. So it'll be interesting to see what he does, but also you're asking a lot of a junior in high school now in LaMelo Ball. You're asking a lot of a junior in high school to make very mature decisions and you know, really, you're you're really altering his life in doing that. But again, that is, I guess, their decision to be made. But it, it's a lot of pressure to put on someone in a junior in high school. I think you just have to think back to what you were like as a junior in high school. And I don't think I could handle that pressure. I don't think I could handle that pressure as a junior in college right now. So, <laughs> I have been a big, big LeVar Ball defender. I have defended him about the shoe brand. I've defended him about being harsh on Lonzo and the rest of his sons. I think... LeVar Ball puts people into un- very uncomfortable situations because he does things a different way. And people in sports and in life hate people, do- people doing things a different way. They just do. And LeVar Ball puts people in very uncomfortable situations where they're like, wow, that's not what we're used to seeing. That makes me uncomfortable. And he's doing it here yet again. And here I think this is going too far because you're now playing with a 16-year-old kid's life. Who knows if he wants to do basketball? He thinks he wants to do it now. What if he doesn't? Because the schooling part of this homeschooling will be a joke. I mean, Lamella was asked why he liked this movie. He said, quote, because I can spend all my time now and dedication into it instead of going to school and doing book work. <laughs> I mean, LeVar Ball is going to be teaching him classes. Like, that's that's bizarre. Even if he brings in somebody else, it's going to be a joke from the schooling perspective. Branding 101. That's the only class he's going to be taking. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, and... and I mean, LeVar is very good at that, too. I mean, what has he become known for? That stay in your lane quote, right? So now you have LeVar Ball, who's trying to be a shoe guru, who's trying to be a coach, who's trying to be a marketing genius, which he is, and is now trying to be a school teacher. So my message to LeVar Ball would be stay in your lane because you're doing way too many things, way way too many avenues, and it's going to lead to setting your kid up for failure and trying to live your life through your 16-year-old kids life which is very very that that for me is going beyond just the line of doing something a different way and lastly we're going to touch on baseball the yankees played in a wild card game now we're going to have the diamondbacks and rockies tonight riveting game there but my question overall is this was implemented in 2012 do you guys like this one game elimination win or go home all a wild card game format i don't even follow <laughs> jj can start with you <laughs> um, i i really like it um, because I think that A, gives the team an opportunity to play in. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think that there's a lot of times where four teams making the playoffs just isn't enough, in, in my opinion, in terms of a 30-team 30 30 league. It's just, it's just not enough. That's, that's four teams from each league, I say. I say. It's eight teams overall. Uh, but I really like the play-in game. I think it's great for ratings. I tuned in last night and even watched most of the game before falling asleep in the eighth inning because the first two innings were two hours long. But I think that I think the playing game is a, a good idea by baseball. And, you know, look, baseball is going to get most of its viewership 
in this month of October. Because even casual baseball fans, I think, really tune in during October, especially if their team is in it. And I think that you know, I think that it's a it's a smart strategic move in terms of ratings, and I think that it's good for fans too because it's exciting to watch a one game, you know, a one game elimination game. That's why March Madness has such such success. Having you know, having it be one and done as a player, that's rough. <laughs> if you lose and you're like. We made it to the playoffs, then you lose in the wild card, and you're like, "Man, we gotta wait until March." Like, I don't know. It's I definitely like it. Like you said, JJ it brings up the ratings and everything, but it stinks when you get out, <laughs> like out in the first round. And I definitely do like it. It gives two, 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 two teams an extra chance to get into the ALCS and well, the DS, then the CS as well so i definitely think it's an it's like it's almost like a second chance in a sense i don't like it i love it i think this is (laughs) the best and only thing major league baseball is doing right it's the only thing they're doing right their game is still slow you said you don't watch baseball tristan most of the people in our generation don't watch baseball i'm one of those freaks who will watch 150 games in a year most of our generation isn't doing that baseball has a major major problem their viewership from last year to this year went from 54 to 56. People don't age two years in one year. That's a problem. If they continue down this path, literally, it's not an over-exaggeration to say within 10, 15 years, they're going to start to see real legitimate problems. Now, I will say this. The NBA should learn from this. The NBA should have one game playing games. That would be awesome. And people say, well, how do you do that? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out how to implement that. You could finagle it, and the NBA could do it as well. This is the only thing Major League Baseball is doing right. Now, in terms of this postseason... I think they're going to have, in terms of rating-wise, a very, very good postseason. You have New York, you have Boston, you have, I mean, my goodness, Washington, you have Chicago, you have L.A., you have Cleveland, you have all the markets you want. So this year, I think they're going to get good ratings. Therefore, they're not going to change anything. But from the macro perspective, the same problem still lies with baseball. That game was three hours and 51 minutes. If I, as a major baseball fan, was having trouble sitting watching that... That means I know average baseball fans are, and that means I know most people in our generation are having trouble sitting through a baseball game. So I think the problems still remain there, and now baseball needs to learn from what their own league is showing them. What have been the two most successful things they've done? The wild card postseason game, as well as the home run derby. What do they both have in common? Urgency. Their game has no urgency. When the two things that you're doing to create urgency are winning, that should tell you, hey, maybe we need to cut our games down from nine to seven innings. And then the traditionalists will come out and say, how how can you do that? You shave off the last two innings and throw out the record books. Baseball needs to make major changes, and the wild card is one of the few things they're actually doing right. All right. So thank you to our guests, Tristan Brown and J.J. Klein, for a great discussion on today's episode. And if you want to hear more, catch us every Thursday for new episodes, and make sure to follow us on SoundCloud to never miss a new episode. I'm Samantha Cavalli. I'm Nick Friend. And you've been listening to How I See Sports.